and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's the man who brought Pete Gillen back to life this weekend after he was accidentally killed by Rex Chapman. It's Matt Penny. What up, Ben? Oh, I I feel great. We survived six days, six long days of basketball, which is great. I'm not complaining about it. I feel like we're breathing. We've made it to the other side here. We got a little bit of a break. We can pod, and we have survived somewhere to Pete Gillen, which is great because I, I know Pete personally, and and I hesitated when Rex Chapman said "Rest in peace, Pete Gillen." I'm like, oh shit, I I missed the, this. Is I feel like a bad person. Like I was at a wedding with Pete Gillen in the fall. I didn't know he was in poor health and. Apparently needed to Pete Gillen because he was over at CBS Sports recording uh, as that was happening, as he was ceremoniously or unceremoniously buried on live TV. We all make mistakes. We all, we all have blunders about uh, callouts. That's a that's a big one to make. I can't. I just absolutely can't. That is hysterical to me. Um, I, I will say this was a long weekend of basketball for me. It was longer uh, for me than most people because. I have to wake up at 3 a.m. to watch these games. And I've got to tell you, by the time the Arizona game happened yesterday, my body was shutting down. <laughs> well, you like, you have it you have it like at the actual inverse, because you have to wake up at like 3 3 30 in the morning, right? And then like what yeah. time did, what time your time did the Arizona game end? Four, four thirty. See, you can like so you can nap and then and recharge, revolve. Like I, when I woke up, those yeah. last few games, and it started off fast and furious. When Rutgers Notre Dame went into St. Patrick's Day, and I, I had to see the Mike Bray comments afterwards. He says St. Patrick's Day, we won. I hope this Irish whiskey on the plane. I'm like holding my eyelids open. So like by the last <laughs> game last night, I'm just like, please do not go to overtime. We got overtime. TCU Arizona. I'm like, great, oh, whatever. We're here. Man. Uh, but I feel like you chase on the front end. I was chasing on the back end. I was chasing the night. Well, I feel I feel like uh, the problem is that when you chase on the front end, it ends up chasing on the back end. At oh the yeah. Because yeah. like I was there was a time I'm trying to remember what window it was. It was the window I think on Friday where like. Auburn was playing Jacksonville State in like was that that window? I can't remember. That was it was like that was that was Friday at like two two ish three ish around there. Yeah, it was it was the yeah. end of the like morning slash afternoon window. Yeah, and I was just like, I have to go to sleep. I have to go to sleep. This well, is this is my window. <laughs> this is all one seeds except for one game. If I don't sleep now, I'm dead. It, like, it was it was also great too because. We kind of looked at some games. We talked about it together. We said, "All right, I don't think like Baylor and North Carolina that that won't be a great one. Sleep in a little bit, and it's oof, we've made a mistake. Like that that was one worth waking up for." Yeah, and I ended up chasing it. Um, like the next game, basically, I can't remember what the next game was. There, I don't think it was the Ohio State game. I think it was the day before that. Um, whatever the five o'clock game was, I woke up for the five o'clock game. Or yeah. the five thirty in the morning game, um, which is the like second afternoon <laughs> uh, game the witching for hour. you guys. And I was just hour. like, "Wait a minute, what, what do we do here? How do we how, how do we how do we chase this right yeah. now?" Um, you look fresh. I, I you don't look tired. You don't look. Sometimes you know, when people are dragged out after 
usually long benders for other reasons, not watching yeah. basketball. You can see it, but you, you look rejuvenated. So I don't know if it's been these 12 hours since we've stopped playing basketball <laughs> that, you, that you've gotten to a better place. Well, if, if people noticed, I wrote a big write-up on the first weekend, opening weekend, on the top 10 prospects that participated, except for A.J. Griffin, just because I frankly didn't have a lot of takes on A.J. Griffin this weekend. But after the Arizona game ended, I had to, like, I had pre-written Johnny Davis. I'd pre-written Keegan Murray, obviously, because he only played one game. Um, I'd pre-written here and there already, but like I still had 2,500 words to write. And... I had to stay up and write it. And then Laura had a netball game uh, that I wanted to go to um, at nine o'clock at night. So I didn't get to bed until one o'clock. I was up at oh. this morning because I was texting you and our mutual friend that our group text is. So like uh, it was, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that I've tried to eat healthy and not drink this weekend. That was the goal. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe maybe that's why you're a, a little bit more fresh than you would be if you chased it with uh, bad food and and bad drink, which makes you set back an, another day or two, which you don't need to do because we have a little bit of a break. We're bouncing right back to games in in two three days as it is. And and I think this I think I decided last night that this is the last time I will not be in the United States for opening weekend. Oh wow! Because I like that. it's just. I don't want to do this again. Like I honestly didn't really enjoy, like I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. I felt like, like, look, all these games were great. I had such a fun time, but like my ass was dragging. I was watching games at five 30 in the morning. Like it's just different. You know what I mean? And I, I think don't know, made- I don't know what you mean, but I can imagine it because I, I know the, the early morning bell when it hits and you really don't want to do anything. You just want to jam some caffeine into your system right away. I'm not thinking about like ball screen coverage of Lucas Williamson and, and Malachi Branham. I, I'd like to say I wake up and I'm ready to talk draft and, and get my takes out, but I, I'm not. Got to warm up the body a little bit too. My problem is that I can't turn it off, to be honest. <laughs> like oh. I can't turn that like analytical part of it off while watching basketball now, which is like not great, to be honest. Um, Especially with draft prospects. Like when I'm watching college basketball, I can't turn it off. With NBA games, I can turn it off sometimes. Like if there's just a really great game happening, I'm just like, fuck, I'm going to enjoy this. Like I'm not going to sit here and try and figure out like why this corner three point shooter is open right now. Um, you know, who screwed up the weak side coverage? Like I, I don't, I need to stop. Well, that, that's how I feel when it's sort of teams that don't have these knockout draft prospects. Like I can just watch the game and relax. I don't have to take notes on my mm. phone. I'm not putting on my laptop. But I, what I do admire about you, and you tweet about it pretty well, is I'll be watching a game and I get so honed in on two or three guys that I'll miss like some of the offensive coverages or what what they did for ball screen defense or how they scrambled on a skip pass. I'll read yours. I'm like, I didn't even see that because I wasn't looking. I'm, I'm just like watching. I'm watching right. this guy like, is Kendall Brown going to do anything? I'm just watching him the whole time. And then it's like, right. oh, well, yeah, James Akinjo, he dug down and recovered. And that's why Sohan got the thing at the top. And I, right. I, I got to find a way to slow down too because we, we do get draft brainy here. We do like in, I have like irreparable draft brain. I think that's the best way to put it. It's a, a IDB irreparable draft brain. That's a, <laughs> that's, right, a that, new that, that's a new trademark. We're, we're, we're yeah. writing chapters in the book along with the Malachi effect. It's nice. That, that's a, that's a new t-shirt IDB irreparable <laughs> draft brain. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, 
um, all of the prospects that we saw this weekend. We're going to talk about the games too. Like I want to talk about St. Peter's because that's a fucking cool story. Like I, I tweeted this already, but just like that story to me is the epitome of like, how can you not be romantic about college basketball? Like yeah. I don't get caught up in the pageantry of it. Like, when I worked at CBS, like I worked and talked to Matt Norlander every day. I still talk to Norlander regularly, but like I talked to Norlander every day and he gets so into like the pageantry of it all and the history and all of those things that are just cool. Right. And I, because I have a reparable draft brain, I don't necessarily always get caught up in that. But the St. Peter's thing, like, how can you not get caught up in that? It's fucking amazing. Oh, this it's, team it's, plays. It's, be- it's beautiful. And you see the tidal wave coming too. It's like, I'm not going to stop this. I'm going to enjoy this no. wave that's coming over. You're never seeing Tata Washington play again. Good luck. How's your intel? How's your eval? I'm like, whatever, man. Let let Doug hit some threes and do another mustache to him. I'm like, whatever. I, I'm in. Let, let Shaheen talk his noise. Like, I'm in. I mean, and, and like Shaheen's just a great personality too. Like an unbelievable person to be achieving this success and getting this platform, right? Like getting this opportunity to pitch his message um, because he's such a good messenger about like New York mindset, like his post-game press conference after their win against Murray State, where he's like, what, you think that like these kids from New York City and New Jersey are going to be scared and the teams are going to out-tough us? We do that. That's what we do. And it's just like- And that's so authentic. It's so New York, New Jersey. This isn't Brian Kelly going down to Louisiana and all of a sudden get like a twang. Like this this is Shaheen Hall. He played at Seton Hall, man. He coached at Seton Hall. He's from the area. He's Those are the type of kids you recruit. And and somebody like made a, a good point about it today in the in the office is that like on our circuit on under armor circuit we have a team riverside hawks that don't have like the highest of high major guys but they made a similar run this summer because they just like got hot and, and out tough people and that's like the yeah. new york mentality and mindset and now you get to see it on on cbs sports and primetime taking down kentucky and now everyone's dusting off like hey have you seen their gym like they have a cargo net in, in the middle of it like they did volleyball yeah. practice there they their school is a street. Somebody had a video of just like, here's their school. Yeah. But like, what'd you think? And everyone's just primed to, to be beat too. And you look across the field and some of the upsets, like I didn't think Iowa state was doing this. Like I, I didn't yeah. have, I didn't have TCU going wire to wire and, and a questionable call away from beating Arizona. And, and that's what makes Mark so special. That's why I love it. And despite the, the draft guys that get knocked out that we want to see more of, I'm more, the first day I care about my bracket and by day two, I'm just like, I just, I'm, I'm doing this. Let's have anarchy. Let's have like the wildest matchup. I like to have a good name or two for the final four, just because that draws more fans, more fanfare, more buzz, more of these like David versus Goliath storylines, but you, you, you above the underdogs making, making their statements here too. And to piggyback off of your recruiting point, I mean, look, we, we, we don't know where Shaheen Holloway is going to end up at the end of this, right? Like we think we know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I put some money on where I think he's going to go. Widely uh, assumed that he will be Seton Hall's next basketball coach, you know, former famous Seton Hall alumnus, obviously. And I'll tell you what, man, like, can you remember a coach in the New York area where you felt like that coach had a chance to kind of run New York city and New Jersey recruiting? like with the message that he's going to be able to 
just be able to put out there all of the notoriety that he's getting right now. I feel like that is a message that is really going to resonate with a lot of kids in that area that are going to want to go play for him. The recency of it too. And it hits and you have a job in a great conference and a great school where he already has the roots of like, I played there, but it's less of a sell of like, we'll build it together. He's going to be like, I have built this. And now we have like these extraordinary resources and even more of the, layered in, in years and years of history of maybe Seton Hall basketball behind him. And you'll, right. you'll be hard pressed to find any people in the New York area that want to like go away from that. A lot of times New York kids just go to other schools. I feel like the options there aren't as, right. as plentiful, but why, why, why leave now? You, you can play for a guy that that's done it and he can part of himself and become, be me, be a star here, come back and, and you can be a coach and do this too one day. I think that's dead on. Like, I I think it's really, really going to be, look, I I mean, recruiting is such a national game now. Like kids will go anywhere, period. Like it's just a little bit, it's different than like the regional, you know, romantic 1980s old Big East kind of deal. Right. But I don't know if he can get 25% of the kids from New York, he's killing it, you know? Like yeah, and and as long as he sort of fits into and, and keeps that mentality of the type and style of kid that he recruited that still has a chip on their shoulder, still feels yeah. like they have something to prove because you see at other places where it just doesn't necessarily translate the same way. Like for, for Shaka Smart, when he was at Texas, it was like, man, he did it at VCU. What's it going to look at Texas? He got plenty of five-star kids there. It just didn't necessarily work. The messaging isn't the same there as it is yeah. now. And Texas Tech was the same way. We, we talked about this year with Mark Adams. and Those guys are like, our coach left us. Like, he went to Texas. We're here to pick up the pieces. And, and they're, like, crushing it right now. And they bought into the defense and bought into – even if they're not underdogs, if you're told enough that you are, you start to, like, believe it and embody it. So that's yeah. sort of, like, the balance that comes with it over time too. Well, and – where I think Shaka Smart made a mistake, and this is not like me bagging on Shaka as a coach. I think he's a really good coach. He did a really, really good job this year with Marquette and did a really, really good job last year with Texas, to be honest. Like people forget that that team they won the really Big good. 12 tournament. And was like <laughs> they lost the first seed. round, but they're really good all year. We're good. Right. Like he, he's done a great job the last two years specifically, but I think he got away from what he does best in those early years at Texas. He got away from what his identity was at VCU. I don't see Shaheen Holloway getting away from what he wants his identity to be. It's Eden yeah. hall, which I, I think is just such a critical aspect when you're going to build a team. Uh, you, you have to have the identity first and foremost, like you just have to know who you are and what you're trying to build and everything else builds upon that. Uh, I, I don't see Shaheen Holloway losing that identity. And that identity, by the way, is a perfect fit for New York City and the kids he's going to be recruiting. Yeah, there's uh, it it, it you, it's hard not to like look too far ahead of it too. But you you see I know. How, how how you see how it could work. You want to enjoy the moment now, and even for him, I'm sure his his agent and the people around him are getting blown up and. I know that's part of the process and doing the media tour and, and everybody wants a piece now and everyone's saying the difference is made St. Peter's. I hope for their sake, they still get to have their moments too, their quiet time away yeah. from it and like soak it in. And not all these moments in life, they don't soak in until 10, 15 years later, there's living in it and it'll be something they talk about for the rest of their lives. But I, I hope just for their sake that it's, it's not 
complete pandemonium. They can still focus a bit between lines when they have to come together too. And, and you know what? I, I do just want to take a minute here because we just talked about recruiting for a while with Shaheen Holloway. And I think it's just such a like thing to do, unfortunately, where people will talk about black coaches as recruiters, right? Like, St. Peter's is running fucking incredible offense. Right oh, now. they're running stuff, man. I mean, we're just talking about what like, he's going to be able to do in, in the backyard, but like they're running sets and spreading guys out and running off screens and fake right. stuff and one line circling back. Like I, I was impressed. They, they have been unbelievable. Some of the sets he's drawn up in out of bounds plays after timeout situations, just the general man to man offense that he's drawing up and, you know, taking advantage of little, you know, disparities and little problems that he sees for instance in that murray state game like they were slicing murray state in a really really impressive way and then defensively they're absolutely outstanding i, I mean look when you have casey nadefo like he's just an absolute monster defensively this is a guy that was going to get invited to summer league no matter what because he's the three-time mac defensive player of the year and is just like such an outstanding instinctual shot blocker who can move his feet and can move laterally and is six foot seven. Like he, he has real concerns. He needs to shoot it, but like he is he really, really stood out for a lot of the NBA people I've talked to. And I, uh, I, I just wanted to take a minute to note, like this is not a situation where we should be talking about Shaheen Holloway as a recruiter. Shaheen Holloway has done a fucking incredible job coaching that basketball team, drawing up plays, setting them up for success on the court with his coaching ability. Yeah. And, and it's just, it, it also speaks to the unpredictability of, of March too, because like, I, I know they got, they got hot late, but they didn't, they weren't like this team that was 30 and three or, or whatever. Yeah. They knocked off all these giants. And I, I had a conversation with a, a mutual friend slash agent the other day, which made a point that I, I hadn't thought about, is that when you get on the neutral court, right? All these teams, all these lower seed teams, they believe it because they're like their momentum's up. They didn't lose in the second round of the conference tournament, like, oh, let's pick ourselves up, figure it out. Like they've won their conference tournament. They are hyped up. They're ready to go. They've grown up watching March Madness. They know the upset potential that's there. And you run out there and you look up in the stands, there's a lot of Kentucky blue, but the whole place is in Kentucky blue. And there's some St. Peter's. There's some empty seats because, like, the way the games are staggered, like, somehow it's never full, which I, I, I don't get. <laughs> you hit your first shot or two. You start looking at your bench like, ah, we can do this right now. And then you mix in the New York-New Jersey toughness. You mix in some really good sets and and putting the pedal to the metal. And that that's the, the elements of the recipe for an upset. And that's why I've done it yeah. twice already. No, it's dead on. Okay, let's talk about Chet and Jabari. We've gone 20 minutes here. Uh, I wanted to lead with him, and we just ended up talking about the NCAA tournament for a while. But, like, I, I was blown away in some respects with Chet this weekend and was underwhelmed in some respects with Chet this weekend. Uh, and then Jabari Smith obviously gets knocked out uh, yesterday going three for 16, I think, from the field and not taking a shot from the 16 or no, from the 15 minute mark down to like the three like minute three. mark in that game, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. Um, he went 12 minutes without taking a field goal attempt in part because uh, Katie Johnson and Wendell Green decided it was Katie Johnson and Wendell Green time. Great time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, happens from time to time with Auburn, unfortunately, and it was not the best time to do it. I, I just want to say, too, it was clear that Miami heard what Zepp Jasper said when 
he was asked in, I think it was like before the tournament or before their game, uh, Miami's the best transition team in the country. Like, uh, I know that you guys pride yourself on transition player or whatever. Like, how are you going to win that battle? And he was just like, we're the best transition team in the country. Like he like laughed it off and was like, they're from the A's ACC. We are in the SEC. And it was just like, okay, man. Yeah. Like, well, maybe, maybe old Zepp didn't understand that, like how old that team is. Like Charlie yeah. Moore is like a 12th year senior. He's, he's been at four yeah. colleges. Like that, that team is old. And the, the two oldest teams, I think in the tournament were Richmond, who won their first round game against Iowa. Their yeah, J- average age is 23. In and Jacob Killiard and Grant Golden are like 60 or seniors. More yes. power to them. And then Miami's is like 22.8 yeah. or something like that. Like 22.9. It's insane. They're so old. Like they're going to dictate tempo. You you have to like play their game basically because they know how to play at their pace. Yeah, and that's when sometimes the age disparity comes into play when Jabari Smith's 18 years old and you're getting boxed out by a guy that's 24 and you go to the NBA, you don't, you don't have a, a choice of, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm 18. I can only play 18, 21 year olds. That, that's what he's going to have to face anyway. Yeah. But they grind you out, man. And like once they got in that hole and you saw it, it was seven, it was 10, it was 12. Right. And, and I, I looked over and I was to my wife and said, I don't, I don't think this is changing. Like I don't see yeah. them hacking away at this, especially when they went away from getting Jabari the ball too. Yeah, no. Uh, as soon as as soon as Katie Johnson and Wendell Green started to take over, like there was a possession where I felt like Wendell Green, like got a steal. Someone in Auburn got a steal and outletted it to Wendell Green, and Wendell Green just like went and pulled up from three uh, and bricked it. Miami got the rebound. Auburn got like another transition steal and headmanned it to Wendell Green or something. And Wendell Green like went up for some wild layup that he had absolutely no chance to make. And I think that was with like 10 minutes left in the game. I was like, this isn't going to happen. Like, this is just not going to happen if this continues down this road. Like, they need Jabari to be Jabari. And I, I don't even think it's Jabari's fault that like he wasn't even allowed to be Jabari in that game. We smelt this out for a while, and I, I watched Auburn play plenty of times. I watched it in person, and, and I think we talked about it here. It, it's just difficult when you have two guards that are so similar stylistically between Katie Johnson and Wendell Green that it's not – you just don't have the steadying hand all the time. Like, in the shot clock, I don't trust they're going to pull out, run a set. It's like, here comes another wild one. And then when Jabari gets it, and I'll give him a little bit of, of credit here, or I, I guess benefit of the doubt – yeah, he was three for 16, but a lot of times he's like, I got to shoot now. Like, I, I might not get it back. Like, it, it, some of them were bad shots, and they weren't falling. But for Jabari Smith Jr., he still had 15 rebounds. Like, he still competed. Yeah. He didn't sulk. I'm not, like, off the ledge. He, he's he's still going to be one or two for me. And it's can, can you give me your numbers here in terms of just remembering, uh, hey, guys tend not to play well. In the final game of their NCAA tournament. Run. Yeah, Kay Cunningham was 6 for 20. I think he had still had 24 points. Franz Wagner was 1 for 10. He was bad. Scotty Barnes had 8 points. He was 2 for 8. And, and my point is that this is one game. And I, I know that a lot of people are, are tuning in for the first time. I know like a lot of higher-level NBA guys, this is kind of their first time seeing them because they're being told by scouts. And it's like, okay, I'm locked in. You watch that game, it's like, what am I watching? This guy was 3 for 15. He's still 18 years old. We've still seen a lot of his basketball up to this point. I'm not going to go crazy over this, just like I didn't go crazy when he had 
30 points. Like you, you still have to find some level of it. it. You can't use this as like the whole point of view of what you view him as a no. prospect. And and the same goes for Chet Holmgren. The same goes for Paul Mancara, for Jaden Ivey. I, I'm guilty of it a lot, but we got to get out of this like tournament brain of, oh, he was bad. He's a bust. He's just a jump shooter. You know what? He's not going off the bounce. It's not there. A week ago, we were saying he's a surefire first overall pick. So I, I'm not going to jump off just because he had a, a poor game. I'm, I'm not saying it didn't. It was it was a bad performance. You wish that he went on a more positive note. He didn't. Uh, I still have all the faith in the world. He's going to be a fantastic top three pick. Yeah. Like, I don't see any world where he falls out of the top three. I don't. I just absolutely do not. I think he has as good a chance as any player in the draft to go number one overall. Um, I think that the betting odds right now are like he's the favorite at plus 100 and Chet Holmgren's second favorite at plus 115. So like it's neck and neck. Um, And it's probably worth transitioning to Chet at this point because Chet came out against Georgia State, who, by the way, like not a 16 seed. Let's be very clear about that. That is like a 14 seed. That is a very good team that was better than the Colgate team, I think, that Wisconsin played. And 19 points, 17 rebounds, seven blocks, five assists was the best player on the court, not just by a little bit. He dominated the game, like completely and utterly dominated the game. Now, Georgia State's front court was compromised. Elil Sasemi, how how do we say his name? How do we say my man's name? Better than me. I believe it's Elil Sosemi who is their center. He was one of the best defensive players in the Sun Belt this year. He gets hurt like eight minutes into the game and compromises their death in the front court. And as soon as that happened, Gonzaga, like I felt good that Gonzaga was going to win. I didn't know if they would cover or not just because, you know, that they were coming from a pretty real tight game in that first half. Was it it tied at half or down two up two? It was a two-point swing, whatever it was. Something like that. But you could see it coming. You could just see the onslaught that was going to come in the second half. And we saw it again in the Memphis game. And the the Memphis game was probably the most interesting evaluation context that we've gotten for any prospect this year, point blank. Uh, Chet Holmgren against Gonzaga. Or Chet Holmgren against Memphis, I'm sorry. That is because not only does Memphis have Jalen Duran and DeAndre Williams. DeAndre Williams is a 25-year-old dude who is six foot nine, 235 pounds or whatever. Jalen Duran is obviously six foot eleven, seven foot five wingspan, 250 pounds, enormous human being. Um, Memphis has real depth in the front court. Matthew Penny's child, uh, Josh Minot, is there. <laughs> if he could play. And Malcolm Dandridge. Is there like they have real depth of athletes there? Um, you know, maybe Malcolm Dandridge was a little bit tired and was not like the most athletic person on the court, but like most teams don't have Malcolm Dandridge as your fourth big, right? Which, which he had to play too because those guys got into foul trouble. And this was like honestly, and this is not a shot at, at him, it reminded me of men's league when you're supposed to have seven guys and five show up. And, like, you're just playing. After a while, it's like, dude, I am beat. Like, can we please get a sub? Like, no, dude, there's no subs. Like, you got to go, like, the whole time. And and yeah. they're trying to run. They're trying to spread them out. They're pulling them out a little bit. And, and Memphis doesn't have an option because they get into foul trouble. All those guys are, like, four fouls. So, like, he had to play those minutes. No, that's dead on. And 
I know that there was a lot of like consternation about Gonzaga and fouls and how Memphis had like six fouls before Gonzaga had any fouls in that half in the second half. That is, I kind of thought that it was fine. Like I, I thought that Memphis and their bigs were not moving their feet. And I thought that they were like actually just making physical contact. Like Chad Holmgren's really good at going up vertically and going backwards while staying as big as possible. <laughs> yeah. Like and a not block shot. Like, ah, yeah. Yeah. He's just so big. And I think that there was some real, like people got frustrated by the foul count. I kind of thought Gonzaga took it to them and forced that foul trouble. Like the one where Jalen Duran picked up his fourth foul on Drew Timmy, where Drew Timmy got the ball. I think it was in the right corner and then drove. Yeah. I mean, Jalen Duran just didn't move his feet. He tried to use his body to like shut, like push into him to slow him down. And it's just a very obvious foul. Like I thought a lot of what Memphis got called for in that game were very obvious fouls. And I thought that Gonzaga's footwork in general, from Drew Timmy to Chet Holmgren to Andrew Nemhard, I thought that those guys were just like, they forced the fouls onto Memphis in that game. Like I, I get it that people see the foul disparity, but I thought it was fine. Like I, yeah. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay too. And this was the first game because I, I had someone ask me, What's what's the prospect matchup you're looking forward to most in the first round? And I, I didn't really have one. I, I said David Roddy in Colorado State against Michigan, and I'm just like fingers crossed, hoping for Gonzaga Memphis. And then in terms of like the individual matchup, it felt like to me anyway, one of those big time pay per view heavyweight boxing matches that doesn't start till eleven o'clock at night, and you're just like waiting all day for it to come. Like it felt like there was enormity of the matchup there, and I knew the yeah. fouls would be an issue. And I wanted Mark Emmert to turn a little bit into Vince McMahon and come down and be like, this game is going to have six fouls for Chet Holmgren and Jalen Dern. And the crowd goes nuts because you knew they were going to have a happy whistle. It, it wasn't going to be a situation where these guys are going to play yeah. the whole time. And they came out so fast and so hard that, that Chet and Jalen were gassed at the 16-minute mark for the timeout. Yeah. Jalen Dern scores in the first play or, or buries him, whatever. He points the bench like, I'm that guy. And Chet comes down. They, they came out way too hot. And you do in, in the first like, half, you mean? The first play of the game, they came out. Oh. Like, this, this, is, this is insanity. Like, this pace will not continue of how they're going at each other. And I saw the critiques on Twitter of Chet and Jalen. And the best part is that it was on, like, the same play. Like Chet one versus Jalen one. So in my head, I'm thinking, do you remember the meme a few years ago? Is this dress black and blue or is it white yeah. and gold? And people were just so <laughs> set on. No, it's white and gold. No, it's black and blue. It, the play with Chet when he gets back down and bodied and then still blocks the shot. There's some people saying Jalen Duran is too big, too strong. Chet can't stop him. Then other people saying Jalen Duran has no craft outside of two feet. That's all I can do. Another people, then the other side of the one. Chet Holmgren can't hold his ground. How is he ever going to be able to do it in the NBA? Other side, he didn't hold his ground, but he altered and blocked the shot. So it, it's really like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You could take out of that what you wanted. I wasn't as concerned with the Chet thing. He didn't play well overall offensively to show the whole package this game. He short-armed a couple threes. He was kind of like this scalable, high-level garbage guy by the basket. I don't mean that as a shot either. But it's like, here's a tip dunk. Here's a lob of dunker spot. Here's yeah. getting to the free throw line. He still had nine points, nine rebounds, four blocks, was in foul trouble, 
should have had a couple more free throws, should have hit a three. So I was encouraged that if he's able to still do this, he was plowed over and he held his ground, that there's more to come and more to get there. The the one thing that concerned me the most is when he put the ball on the floor and he got a forearm into his chest, it looked like slow motion. And yeah. the guys in the NBA are more built like Jalen Duran than they are the guys in Georgia State and the West Coast Conference. Still both teams, yeah. both great teams, great programs, but they Jalen Duran is what they look like. Those, those are the guys going to face in the front court. So how's Check going to be able to adjust when he pulls those guys on the perimeter to be able to get by them quickly and not like pushed off? Every time he caught it, it was like a push off. He's off his spot. It's, it's starting as a fadeaway. He's going to have to build his base to get there. I, I just I'm still firmly believe he's going to get there. Just going to take some time. You know, I had no problems with Chet on defense in that game. I thought that the conversation that was happening online that was like, oh, you see this Chet Holmgren, he can't handle the physicality. He he and Andrew Nemhard were the only two that handled it in the first half. Like, he got displaced, but he competed every single time. Like he played nine minutes in that first half. He competed or I can't remember. It might've been 11. It was either nine or 11. Like he contested every single shot. His ability and drop coverage to just be in the right position all the time was absolutely elite. Like there, he was rotationally aware the entire time. If you look at the numbers in terms of how Gonzaga's defense succeeded or failed when Chet Holmgren was on the court, have, have I shown you these numbers yet? Have you seen I them? Don't, I don't know if you had or, or you tweeted. I think I saw something similar, but I don't know if you showed it to me directly. So Chet Holmgren played 52 possessions in that game because he played most of the second half and missed, I think it was like 17 possessions in that mm-hmm. game. And in the 50, or no, it was 51 possessions. In the 51 possessions he played in that game, Memphis scored 52 points. It was like 1.02 points per possession. Mm-hmm. How many points do you think Memphis scored in the 17 possessions he was off the court? Oh, well, it was one point something. So is it, I don't say double, but 1.75? Yeah, it was a 1.52 okay. point per possession mark. They scored 26 points in 17 possessions when Chet Holmgren was off the court. And you could see why. They just pummeled. Gonzaga onto the interior as soon as soon, as soon as they pulled them too as soon as they pulled as them. Soon which as is a good which is a good coaching move by Penny Hardaway too you could see the difference immediately I thought Chet Holmgren was outstanding defensively in that game like wasn't just good wasn't just okay he was outstanding he his defense in that game it's not the biggest reason Gonzaga won that game. The biggest reason Gonzaga won that game, number one for me, is Andrew Nemhard. He played 40 minutes in a game that you and I were talking about just a second ago. How do they play at this pace the whole game? How do they like not get tired? How do they not get like just worn down? He played 40 minutes in that game, didn't come out for a second, never looked tired, never looked flustered, never looked out of breath even a little bit. And controlled and dictated the tempo of that game. It's such an elite level. Andrew Nemhard for the reason they won that game. And hit daggers. Dagger jumpers. And hit daggers. Every time it started to be like building a little and you felt it, here comes a three by Andrew Nemhard. And and then credit where it's due. Halftime, whatever expletive laced 
pep talk Drew Timmy gave minister <laughs> of culture for Gonzaga basketball. He did a good job like talking through it after the game in PG ish terms. He was fantastic. He was. I mean, he, he, he legitimately could not miss and he put them on his back for a while too. And that yeah. took some of the pressure off of Chet because early Memphis clogged the lane. So they're trying to go high low. It's like Chet was trying to pass it. He's like, I, I physically can't do this. The window is too short. So when he got going, and then he's going at the mid post. It, it opened up so much more space and, and room in the lane for everything else to happen. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely uh, really, really impressive. And I thought Chet played an integral role. The thing that you said about his game off the bounce, that's what scared me the most. Uh, they ran a couple of slip plays late where he was running a 1-5 ball screen with Andrew Nemhard, where he would come up, he'd slip the screen and pop out to the wing and catch and it was either a catch to shoot or a catch to drive. And both times they closed out relatively hard and he was able to catch to drive and they just had no problem recovering. They had absolutely no problem recovering and they forced them into like a reverse pivot escape pass both times. And it was just like, this is, this is a problem. Like this is an actual problem. I think that that has to be the sell too, because we're we're saying, is he a four, is he a five, whatever he is, he needs to be able to have that exploit on the perimeter when he has the ball that he's going to get by him. Because if it's just get overly physical and really crowd his space, he turns his back, he kind of fades back a little bit. You, you, you can't do that. You can do that if you're hitting threes, but I think he got in his own head a little bit too. He's like one for 14 on his last threes. He's made like one yep. three in the last four games. He's and he's missing free throws too in that game. Yeah, front end one to one, some free throws. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like a technical foul he shot or intentional foul. It was the hook and hold. He he shot and, and missed yeah. that one. That's a guy who hits transition threes. It, it's It's been weird statistically for him where non-conference, it was like 30-ish percent. And then in conference, like, whoa, this guy's like 48% from three. And now we're back down to he's a shade under 40%. He's like 38.9% or something like that. But he doesn't yeah. seem as confident in his shot. And that's something he needs in that toolbox where his frame and his size is and positionally his right now. He's not going to score in the post. If you're going first overall and a franchise believes in you, you can't just be like a, a dunker spot fourth guy. I saw that Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons – brought up the idea mm, yeah. that he is hard to evaluate. Yes. I, I watched I watched the three minute clip. Go what what are you what do you want to say about it? The name Sean Bradley was thrown out there and I was like, I don't know about that. No, that's not I, even he's not even a little bit of Sean Bradley. But uh, like no, no, but they're tough to evaluate because you haven't seen it. Like that's that's very fair. No, none of us really have, I, I think well, personally. I, I don't even think he's hard to evaluate. I think he's actually a really easy evaluation. It's more you just have no idea how it's going to age because you have no idea how the frame is going to age. If you would tell me that he's going to get to be 225 pounds, I take him number one and don't even think about it. Uh, If he's going to be 210, which, by the way, would probably be 10 to 15 more pounds, like that's not super ideal to me. And I just don't have like the medical expertise to be able to like tell you how his frame is going to age. I do know he's a hard worker. I know he's incredibly competitive. I genuinely think he's the most competitive player like in this draft class point blank period. And I'm personally willing to bet on that. But I mean, look, it's, it's not hard to evaluate. It's just a total unknown to me. Like it's, 
and like, look, I, I understand that like, that's kind of what they're saying to an extent, but the evaluation portion of it, I don't think is that hard because he is so good defensively already. He is a legit shooter. He's a great passer. Everything he does, we just saw how it works when he has to be a part of a team as opposed to being the star. We saw in the first round how it works when he's the star. Like everything here is scalable to be yeah. a great high level like role player, uh, not just like a Sean Bradley level starting center, but being a genuine difference maker, top 10 center in the league if it doesn't work. Have to believe you do. If the the weight doesn't come, he's not a number one pick. And and part of me having yeah. him number one is I believe it's going to happen. If he doesn't, we'll replay this clip in about three years and be like, why how'd you miss on Paul Bancaro? He's he's kind of like the actualized yeah. guy. He he's what you have now. Just the three had to come around. He's hit some catch and shoot threes in transition. He he looks smoother. Like, how'd you miss? It's because you hope. That when you draft here, you have a franchise changing changing guy, but you have to bet a little bit on the upside. You do. And let's talk about Paulo now before we take a commercial break. I, I just thought he was outstanding the whole weekend. Uh, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And we've talked about the passing a lot, the two of us on yeah. this podcast. He's Duke's best passer. They need to run their offense through him. He, he is a genuine like terrific passer over his last 11 games. He's averaging four and a half assists per game. Like that's more than Jaden Ivy. I was kind of going through the lottery guys. I think he might be the best passer among all of the lottery picks. Like it's yeah. him and Dyson Daniels. I was going to say like Dyson he, Daniels. That's the other name that sticks out. Yeah. But like, he's a better passer than Jaden Ivy. He's definitely a better passer than Jabari Smith. Definitely better than Keegan Murray. Definitely better than Ben Matherin. Um, Johnny Davis, definitely better than Johnny Davis. Like, you know, maybe if maybe Ty Ty, like if you have Ty Ty in the lottery, like I, I, I think Bancaro is absolutely a terrific passer for his size. Like you watch him, he just has complete control over the ball. And because of that, because of that ability to handle the ball, it's such a polished level already. He's comfortable throwing live dribble passes. Yeah off of actions like he's just a very smart intuitive player he was great for duke late too and those passes he does have it, it's strange because sometimes and in, in what I've, I've really harped on here and i, I have my spot too low that's fine he's gonna end up at fourth for me it's well still, and check, check I, I, thought that you, I thought you particularly in our group text brought up a really good point with him uh, you, we may, we bring up a lot of points that are good, not good there. So if you could uh, about like him being like like processing the game and like looking like the little pinwheel. <laughs> I did say that. I said that yeah. uh, when he when he plays at times, it's just uh, you know when you're on a computer and you're trying to load up a program, like you have it physically, but you get the pinwheel of death and it's just like processing the whole time. You know, it can run the program. It's like why can't you do this? Like why are you stuck in that spot? When he catches the right. ball at the top of the key, sometimes he just does that. He's like, I'm going to dribble. I'm going to mid-range. And once he hits a shot or two, it, he had two catch-and-shoot smooth threes where it's like, dude, just do that. You have everything else. He, he's big and strong. He gets the mid-range. He had that, like, ridiculous Euro step with, like, the wrong foot that he finished down the far end. And, and like, the passing he has at a high-low when he's double-teamed. The only nitpicky thing I'll say is, like, when the passing starts going, though, he starts doing jump passes, and, like, that's when he gets his turnovers. That's so yeah. fixable. That takes – 
two seconds. The kid has added to what he's done all season long. He, but I didn't come in and I, I saw him plenty in high school yeah. as like a, a point guard and that wasn't going to happen. But there's a lot of point forty stuff that he does. Yeah. No, I, I think he is as complete a forward as I've seen in a while offensively entering the NBA. I don't know how high the upside is because his athleticism is not crazy. Right. But in terms of being six foot 10, having the ability to post, having the ability to play on the wing in legitimate, like NBA level sets where there was that one play where he catches a like escape pass kick out from Trevor Keels on the wing with Mark Williams in the dunker spot on his side of the court in the corner empty. And he like, jab steps shot fakes drives right because he gets his man off balance and then mark williams's guy has to come and help i think it was julius marble and he's just dribbling and then he just whips like a one-handed right-handed pass to the dunker spot and it's just like the easiest dunk in the world for mark williams like think about the guys that can do that it's six foot ten like that are that big and that strong. It, it's like, it's so minimal. It, it, it is, especially as teenagers, like it's so, so minimal. Yeah. I don't know who the, the answer was, but it wasn't Joy Hauser. He was just like, yeah, this is, this is going to be a long day for you, buddy. Like the, yeah. he just couldn't stop. Once he got that one jab step and got him rocking, it was, it was curtains. It was all over. Yeah. No, that, that was a bad plan. Um, Really excited to see, uh, Duke this coming weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about what's coming this weekend at the end of the podcast, but last guy, should we talk a little bit about Jaden Ivy here? Just cause he's like the other top prospect that, you know, had is in the sweet 16, right? Like three of our four players yeah. got into the sweet 16. This is great. Like we're, we're really going to get to evaluate guys at a high level. Um, I thought Jaden was fine. He was the guy he's been all year. He had a couple of incredible flash plays and some moments that were just okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm just – I love the flashes, uh, don't we all? But once they spread out and kind of went like five out and just let him boogie and like break down his man and step back and give it space, it's like, man, like this is it. Like when he when he gets the space in the open court and even the space in the half court, he's a different player. You can tell. Yeah. He had one drive, I, I think it was against Texas and not Yale, where he like went in the lane and he scored like around Zach Eady. Like that guy's just not going to be there next year bumping into him. And, and that's why I, I remain – so high on him, and I went back and looked through some of these old videos. We talked about this in like November, December of him being a dark horse number one. I could still see a team falling in love and saying like, "This is John Morant light, Russell Westbrook light, whatever crazy upsidey point guard you could be." And I, I also found myself going back and watching John Morant Murray State tournament clips. Like, what does it look like versus what Jay Ivey looks like? And John Morant was an, an absolute monster and but but yeah. stopped there with like some of the passing he did. But like in the lane, like a, a little bit of the craft stuff, I I get it. I I just think that Jay Ivey's best basketball still is is coming when he has a scheme that that's better for yeah. him. Put two guys, you texted it, put two shooters in the corner, short roll a guy, hit him. If he helps, he's the passing is way better too. There were some misses where he beat his man. A guy stepped up. He like whipped it off the baseline. He's seeing the game like a little bit better. The pick and roll stuff's developing. It's not stuck in like second gear like we were 
March 1st. So I, I remain a, a very big fan of Jaden Ivey. Kind of like net neutral for, for a stock yeah. for me. The great flashes have to do it more. I think he's a little bit of prisoner of, of what they do there. And uh, I hope we get to see, see it advance the next round. Yeah, and like, I like Matt Painter a lot. Uh, I think he's great. <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying to calibrate what I want to say yeah, because I think breath. that hey, take a twenty. <laughs> I think his scheme is really like effective, right? For college basketball, it's been proven over the years. They consistently have one of the best offenses in the league, in the country, and they make it work, right? Um, I, I'm disappointed on some level that we didn't get this or we don't get to see Jaden Ivy as often as we could in NBA like settings, I guess. Um, and that's fine. Like Matt Painter should run what he wants to run. He's been as successful as he possibly can be with it. And this is a really good team running Matt Painter's system. Right. Yeah. But like they have the personnel to do, they have the personnel to be as elite as any offensive basketball team as I've ever seen. If they would really make it work on the college level, because they have Jaden Ivy. They have Trevion Williams, who you could run one five short roll like actions with, where Trevion Williams is like throwing over, he's throwing over his head. And, he's throwing his over his head anyway. It's like dude's layup lines relax, just a regular pass. I, I mean, like you could run some really high level, high one five ball screen actions with Trevion Williams, and you could use him on duck ins and then you have the shooters, like you have Sasha Stefanovic, you have Mason Gillis, like yeah. you have uh, the other, it's, is it Isaiah or PJ? I think it's Isaiah Thompson. I always forget which Thompson it is at Purdue now. But like you have the personnel you need to run just an unstoppable 1-5 high ball screen action that Jaden Ivey will run mostly in the NBA. And again, like I don't, I'm not taking shots at Matt Painter. I this is more what I would like to see from an evaluation perspective yeah. as opposed to what works winning basketball games. Right. Um, I, I, I'm just disappointed that we don't get to see that as often uh, from my own selfish perspective, not from like, uh, like a winning basketball games perspective, which and, is what and, he cares about. And who do they play next round? St. Peter's St. Peter's. So I was talking to my friend Zach about this in the office today. What do you got to do? You're, you're going to exploit the size matchup. You have to go to Zach yep. Eady. He He's a cheat code in that scenario. So you have to pound the post, yep. get their size or lack thereof in foul trouble. And if they double, then he can hit out and then you go to Travion Williams. So I get it. Now it's really just like the team in front of you for 40 minutes. And then you regroup the next one. He's not going to do anything schematically crazy as, as far as they've gone now. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and we will be back um, to talk more about the tournament. I have a question to ask you. Okay, we are back. My question for you, Matt Penny, who is the player – that helped themselves most in your mind this weekend? My mind or just what I think like the general scouting world's mind? I saw you wrote an article about it. I didn't want to read it because yeah. uh, I knew we talk about guys helped hurt. Is this just me personally or what I think is a it's too both. consensus? Why not? We, we have all the time. Have the a, world have, we actually okay. do. Uh, I have a weird, not weird one, but probably like a non-traditional one. I'm going to go with Mark Williams from Duke. 
And he was great. He the, was great this the weekend. The reason I say this is he had 15 points, eight rebounds, five blocks. And all the stuff we said about Paulo, it a lot of it worked because Mark Williams was there to like rip the rim off or then block down the other end and take off. And that coincided with Walker Kessler not playing great. He had two points, two rebounds. He was over six shooting. He wasn't the same player from a month ago where he was named SEC Defensive Player of the Year. I have those guys right here. And it's like, I, I know it's one game where we're advocating for people not doing this, but I watched that Mark Williams game. I'm like, the translation for him as an NBA five is so much more seamless than it is for Walker Kessler. So in my mind, yeah. in terms of my draft ranking and evaluating, I took the most out of Mark Williams' positive performance based on the guys that are around him and how he was still effective. And we're not running plays for, for Mark Williams. He still had 15 points. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think Mark Williams really, really helped himself this weekend. I thought he was outstanding on defense. Um, two games that don't really put him in difficult positions. Uh, Michigan State did run a ton of ball screen actions. Like they probably put him through, mm-hmm. I don't know, 60 ball screens, 50 ball screens, it felt like. And I thought he did a really, really good job defending. But between Marcus Bingham, who's just a bit too inconsistent, I think like you're not real worried about Marcus Bingham, even though I thought he played well in that Duke game. Uh, and Julius Marble, like you're letting those guys shoot at the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, of course. If of course. They end up getting free and you're trying to recover out onto them. So I thought it kind of helped him. Plus, they don't really have guards that can like truly turn the corner on him essentially and like make his life a bit more difficult aj hoggard can at times tyson walker not really but like there's just not really as much concern there uh and and the good thing for him is like i said we're going to talk about these next matchups like i don't think texas tech can either gonzaga can for sure but i don't really think texas tech is going to present too many problems for him he's probably the most important player in that game if he stays out of foul trouble duke has a really good chance to win um yeah, I thought he was outstanding. I thought he was great in both games this weekend. It's not like he's not in the scouting report, but just an afterthought when we talk about Paul yeah. Bancaro. We talk about what's A.J. Griffin doing. Hey, Wendell Moore's figuring out. Like, Mark Williams just, like, does a job. Just runs up and down the court, dunks, block shots. I'll be here when you need me. Throw an alley-oop, dunk. Good. That, that's an NBA 5. That, that's who I want playing the 5, and that's why he's, like, 15 or so on my board now. So in a, a little bit of a sparring match, throwing back to you, who in your take was the guy or the prospect that helped himself the most opening weekend? Uh, it was Ben Matherin. Yeah. I, I, I mean, mean, that was, that was the answer, but I, I was trying to go like a little bit hipster here with uh, an offbeat guy. No, I, I, I think Mark Williams did really help himself. So I think that you're dead on, but Ben Matherin, I mean, Oh my God, I, I don't think I've ever seen him. And this isn't a shot at him. Like, I don't, I don't mean this negatively, but he was on one against CCU. Like he was more engaged on both ends. Just the will to win the desire, like to put your foot down and say, I am not fucking losing. Oh yeah. He did. He, he, he did that. He, he did that on, on both ends and like got to the free throw line. And the best part is, he like got three offensive rebounds, just like powered through it. He powered yes. through the trees, got like and ones. I'm like, I don't know if I knew that he had that in him. I didn't know either. I'll, I'll like I hand up. I did not know he had that. Um that that was that was incredible 
I thought. I thought that his performance against TCU uh, was the performance of the first round. Uh, it was yeah. the best I've seen. It was the best I saw anyone play in the first round because of the situation, yeah. because Arizona desperately needed him, and they needed him right when he stepped up. TCU went on that late 12-0 run to take the lead by, I think, three, if I remember correctly, and they were up 70-67 to the first play. Run a back door for Dalen Terry, or Dalen Terry runs a back door for Ben Mather. Spin, bounce pass, yeah. Yeah, Matherin catches, goes up, gets fouled. They don't call it and still finishes the dunk. And he comes up just like that. Yeah. Well, it, like, it, it, it did help though, because the refs let that one go. And then, and the regulation that like turnover E by half court, it was like, Ooh, maybe some contact there. I don't know. I think because but, they didn't call that whistle, that one they let slide, even if it wasn't. Yeah that close that that that's why it, it worked there but he was yeah i didn't i didn't see the 30 ball and the actual winning time moments that he had in him he also had four assists uh he had eight Here, rebounds so, so kinda that's nuts. one thing i wanted to bring up with ben matherin do you know how many assists he's averaging over his last 14 games i do not three and a half yeah he's really taking a leap as a distributor and as a playmaker for his teammates over the back half of the season uh I went back and like actually watched some tape because it's a skill that I think I didn't recognize that he was developing in the back yeah, half of that year when I'd watch Arizona. But you go back and you look, you're just like, oh, he's getting into the lane, stopping and assessing now instead of just like stopping and going up for that like little yeah. shot floater yeah. off of two feet that he has, right? Um, or like escape passing. Like he's actually attacking to make a play now. Um as opposed for his teammates or for himself, as opposed to just trying to score himself. I, that, that was unbelievable. And, and then he has the big three where he rejects the Coloco screen, crosses over right to left and cans a pull up. He had two ridiculous threes off of movement in the first half. And Oh, by the way, oh, we the haven't corner, even talked yeah. about his highlight play yet. Oh my God. Like yeah. <laughs> that I, I, dunk. I, I, off the 45 cut from Coloco where he catches the pass and just goes up through Eddie Lincoln. Like that was, uh, I had the TV here I had the screen there and I'm kind of like going back and forth and this game's ending. I'm seeing that I'm like, Oh boy, I better, I better lock in over here. That was ridiculous. That was on par with the Jabari Smith end of the game dunk that he had in the, in the first round. But the Benedict Mathurin was probably more impactful. And Isaiah Wong on Jabari Smith. I would say oh those gosh. were the that three dunks of the first round. Yeah. Um, man, that was that was something different from Ben Matherin. I, I slid Ben Matherin up to eight on my board. I'll be like, I, that is yeah, the I'm kind looking at, of I'm looking at seven right now. But I've been yeah. all over. I had him like six when he like ran the like twenty seven point run for like four or five straight games. It's they were getting over the hump. Then it was like, I don't know, it kind of hit the walls. I had him down at like 12, and then I bumped him back up. I, I did, and this is this is all still very fluid. While, while we're talking Arizona, I think we should also probably touch on Christian Coloco a little bit. Yeah. If, he ma- if he made a draft highlight video, it might just be from that game. The, the actual highlights of 12 or 13 from the field had some like moves in the post that were a lot smoother than he's done in the past, like two-hand blocking shots. Uh, Eddie Lampkin scored on him a little bit. But you see the appeal of I, I think I have him at like forty right now or, or forty one. Is that guy close enough to an NBA five that you take him there as opposed to 
I don't know, one of these guys of EJ Liddell or, or Walker Kessler or Mark Williams or even Terry Eason a little bit in the 20s? Like, where, where's where's your scale on, on him and where do you kind of see him fitting right now in, in the draft range? Yeah, I mean, he's helped himself for sure. I mean, do you take him or Walker Kessler after the Walker Kessler disappearing act? Still, uh, still, still Walker Kessler for me. I, I still yeah. have him there, but it's it's starting to, to make more sense why it could be Christian Coloco. Yeah, look, I, I've had Coloco somewhere as a top 40 guy for a while now. Um, I think he goes a little bit higher than where I have him, to be honest. Like, I think he ends up in the end of the first round. It, it's just like a lot of Clint Capella there. Like, yeah, when totally. You watch him, like, Which is good. Like, if I get Clint yeah. Capella at 31, like, I'm doing backflips. That's a home run. And, and honestly, if you get Clint Capella at, like, 17, you're ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, right. But, like, right. I think there's probably a little bit more downside with Coloco just because – he is not quite as fluid. Like his hands aren't awesome no. when you watch them. And like whenever he has to create his own shot out of anything that isn't a dunk, he has these moments where it's just super robotic. And well, there's, like, some, there's some Wowzers moments. There is, but he had one turn over his left shoulder where they kind of like snuck in like a ready jump hook and used his length. And, and that's the, the intrigue with a guy like him. But you know what too? Like you go and you watch, I don't know how much international stuff you've watched. Have you watched any Ishmael Kamagate? I had Andrew Select ask me that today. I, I haven't in probably about two months, and that's like the deep dive after the tournament. Like, let me get back into the international prospects. Kamagate throws up some, like, wild ones. Like, part of it is because I think he's a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more fluid than Christian putting the ball on the ground. Yeah. But, like, if you take away his first option and he doesn't see an outlet, like, he'll throw one at, like, 100 mile an hour off the backboard. Oh, we saw, like, we, oh, we saw that pass this weekend. What was it, North Carolina? Who threw the pass that was, like, Oh, I know what you're talking about. Like, fired um, off the backboard. I just looked. I, I think, think it was, it was, it was North Carolina. Because I think, I, I thought it was No, North it was North Carolina. Because Baycott sure. looked up, like, and they showed the replay of Baycott looking up in slow motion, like, what is that <laughs> thing doing? <laughs> like what are we doing here um yeah no i, I thought that um i thought it was mather and i thought that coloco did great i know you want to talk about malachi branham though oh, because i thought that he kind of solidified himself in a pretty real way like i talked pre-tournament about these were two really strong opportunities for him or at least one against lucas williamson to be able to prove that he can be the guy. He actually didn't get much of the Lucas Williamson assignment. They mostly put Williamson on EJ Liddell. I kind of think that was a mistake to be honest. Um, but what did you think of Malachi Branham in his games against Loyola, Chicago and Villanova? I thought Malachi Branham looked like an NBA player playing a college game. And what I mean by that is, when he actually catches and gets his two dribble pull up and skies and, and releases it, it's just such a smooth jumper. There's like no wasted movement in, in how he gets it off. He is very stiff. He is very upright. And I just want to like punch him in the, the legs so he bends his knees a little bit when he comes <laughs> off that stuff. And and that's why I have just a little bit of hesitation of like how high we move him up because he doesn't have that burst. But the jumper and the way he was like placing some of his passes to EJ Liddell and coming off ball screens, he is an NBA style game. Just in that a lot of times you, you see guys going so fast and like so crazy. And as a compliment to him, it's kind of like smarter, not harder. Like he's not like, ah, I got to go. It's it's deception of angles and pulling up at like a, a different time that you would anticipate. But that 23 points on 10 for 19 shooting, 
four assists. They, they had their back against the wall, and he was fine, seized at the moment. And he had two or three rattle out, and I was kind of rooting for them to go down just to see how it went. And he was my friend, and as a Ohio State alum, I think he had about two in a row, and I, I texted you the, the Vince Carter it's over, Jeff. I said, I hope you enjoyed his time in Columbus because this show is going on the road. It is all over for his college days. Yeah. I mean, just the self-creation pull up. Like Malachi is what we thought Blake Wesley was early in the year, I think. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah. A, a lot of the same abilities, same craftiness, you know, same mid-range uh, shooting ability, except I think that Malachi is just a much better shooter right now. Honestly, yeah. I think Blake yeah, probably definitely. has a little bit more juice off the bounce. Um, just shiftiness and a little bit yeah. more burst probably gives Blake a little bit higher of an upside if it comes together. But I think Malachi's decision-making is a little bit better. He's a much better shooter. Uh, he has better balance. Like you say that like yes, he's awesome coming balance. off pretty high on those ball screens. I agree with you. But I actually kind of like the way he comes off of them because he's always on balance. He's always ready to pull up. He's always got just kind of two feet under him in a pretty real way. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't know what Malachi Branham's going to do. I think he'd go in the top 25 pretty easily. Oh, uh, he would yeah. have an outside chance at going in the lottery, oh, I yeah. think. Like you, you start, we say top 25, you start putting names on the board. And it's like, who's the pairing with him at, at Combo Guard? Like, who are the names? Like, uh, do you include? I'm just going down the list. All right, Jay Knives going before him, sure. Yep. Johnny Davis, I would take Johnny Davis over him. Okay. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about Johnny Davis here next because I want to ask you about him. Benick Mathurin, I'm taking over him. Yep. A- AJ's probably more of a, a wing. I think we said Dyson Daniels. And then it's like, all right, do you want Ty Ty Washington or, or Malachi Branham? Yeah. Do, do you, you want, want Ochai Baji or Malachi Branham? That's the next one. Right. So uh, that that's when it starts when you actually put names on paper and you look and teams are going to say like here's our groupings of guys when you do it that way and not just put like here's my top 15 it, it I could see the, the kid ending up play lottery I, I really really could I could too yeah. and look like it, it was funny like someone I believe was his uncle tweeted at me uh mid game after I tweeted that I thought he started the Villanova game really poorly yeah because I don't think he was locked in yet. Like, I think that Villanova kind of came out and like punched them in the mouth a little bit. Oh, they're, they're punchers. I mean, they're death by a thousand jump stops. Like you better be ready to play Villanova. Right. And you better be on your shit. You better be on the scouting. You better be just like fucking ready. And I didn't think Malachi came out well to start. I thought that, he missed a few defensive assignments. There was one where he sagged way into the yeah. paint mm-hmm. and gave up a wide open three. Uh, he had a couple of lazy passes early and Villanova just fucking kills you when you do that stuff. And I thought from like the five or six minute mark of the first half after he realized, Oh shit, like this is real now. Like this team doesn't make mistakes. Like I have to be ready and they pounce on every mistake that I make. Yeah. I have to be totally fucking locked in mentally. I thought he was outstanding from that moment onward. Like I I thought that he was awesome. I actually even thought he was pretty okay defensively, uh, which is something I rarely say about him. Yeah. Uh, Having watched a lot of Ohio state games this year, unsurprisingly, like I actually thought he was kind of a mess defensively uh, for large spots of the season, but 
once he locked in against Villanova, I thought he was really good. I thought he was really, really good, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have any. I don't really have any complaints. Like yeah. this, this was a this was a good game for Malachi Branham against Villanova, and I thought he was good against Loyola too. Loyola is another team that punches you right in the mouth defensively, and he had no problem kind of managing that pressure on ball. Uh, made some tough shots, created some tough shots, was really like Ohio State's only source of offense through large swaths of that game. So, yeah. No, I, I think he should absolutely test the waters. And I oh, think yeah. That and, and, the, in, and the feedback's going to be good, too, because he does have a, a mature, so mature, stylish game that it that, – that, that, how I let off. I, I think it's it's better suited for the way NBA teams play, too. I think I agree. Uh, I mentioned Johnny Davis a minute ago. Yes. It feels like people are just like killing Johnny Davis right now. Wild. Yeah. And it's just like so like look and look, Johnny has said, I'm healthy, I can play. And he's not letting anyone know that he's hurt. And I respect that like mentality. But like he's not healthy. He's not no it's, it's you know what it is? It's like the I'm going to use Tom Brady analogy because I know you hate it. It's like when the season ends and Tom Brady's like, yeah, actually, like I have one knee. Uh, my ankle is taped together with duct tape. I bumble gum on my shoulder and it like comes out. It's yeah. not him, but like the team leaks or somebody leaks it. His ankle is not 100%. And he's not going to say that. And he toughed it out. And, and I, I also want to say similar to Ty Ty Washington. We're, we criticize Ty Ty Washington. I don't think he, that kid's been the same either since – the yeah, Auburn, totally. the Auburn game, and he kept tweaking it all year long, and he toughed it out. And for for Johnny Davis, when I watched Colgate, my theory was in the first half his ankle was tight, or he didn't trust it, or whatever it was, because when he would have a, a screen or a ball screen, he would just settle. He wouldn't even like yep. try to get in the lane. He's like, I'm good, coming off jumper, everything was short. And I think when the hourglass started winding down, he looked. He's like, oh man, like the season might be over in like eight minutes. He took over. He had an offense yeah. rerun for a basket. He hit a pull-up. He hit a three. He got him going. He leaked out for a dunk. That's kind of like the guy. And then uh, they dug too deep of a hole against Iowa State, right? Yeah. And it, there was no coming back. It, it was an ultimate rock fight, and he was short on everything. You would tell he's favoring it. Even at one point, he's kind of like walking around limping. He's not the type of kid who's going to come out to media and say, hey, I wasn't 100%. I, I gave it all I had, but sorry, like we weren't going to win this way. So it, it's not, I don't think he cares if his draft stock takes a little bit of a dip to say that he left it all out there for a team and a program that supported him and made him player of the year in conference. Like I, I don't forget the 25 point games. I don't forget the game they had at Mackey Arena. This is a yeah. data point where he wasn't good, but there's plenty of data points on there to say like he's going to be a pretty good combo guard in the NBA. Well, he had no elevation. If oh, like. none, none, no less. He had no elevation comparatively to what he had in the early portion of the season. Yeah, uh, did not have that same stop-start ability. I felt like kind of being able to stay up on balance for his pull-ups. Did not like. I just think that that turnaround, like he was able to turn it on for those last like six minutes against Colgate in that stretch. Yeah, but I think that that turnaround from Friday to Sunday is quick and it's probably harder for him to make that turn to that quick turn than anyone else right now because of that ankle. And he tweaked it in the middle of the Iowa state game. Like, and he, he tweaked it and Chucky Hepburn went out. 
So that's a team that yeah. doesn't have depth anyway. And I forget who they subbed in. I talked about it today. It's going to kill me. They subbed somebody in, and I don't know if it's Norlander or someone there tweeted, like, I don't think this guy's played all year long, but he's in. It's March. Let's get crazy. And Johnny has to kind of go Captain America, and he's playing a two-man game with his brother in the corner, Jordan. So he's, like, driving and kicking for threes, and he missed a couple. And uh, the way Wisconsin plays, when you get down – when they're down seven or eight and you have like 70% of Johnny Davis, it may as well be like you're down 800 because it's hard to like crawl out of that. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin at one point put in Isaac Lindsay, there uh, is. who is a six foot four sophomore who has played in, it looks like one, two, three games, four, five games this year uh, and has not played more than four minutes in a game. And credit to him that, that he went in there and played. It's just, you're not, your back is you don't have many options and talking iowa state one thing i want to say real quickly is when they played lsu do you know what maddening it must be as the assistant coach that had to scout for that game where it's like hey tyrese hunter can't shoot he shoots 26 percent from three let him shoot he had seven threes he was seven for 11 from three you know how frustrating it is to prepare for a team and the scout just like throw out the window and the next game tyrese hunter went one for ten so that like that's the things that will keep you up at night and you think about forever. Like how how do we get around this? And you know what? Like in LSU's case, I, I don't want to give them a pass because they gave Tyree some wide open catch and shoot shots too. But like, don't you do that if the guy shoots twenty six percent? He's like a jet. Otherwise, like all right, just give him space. Like like let him do it. Yes and no. Like. I, I want to go under screens, but yes. like I don't think Tyrese is such a bad shooter in general that like I'm not contesting. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not like trying to get out. Like there were times where he was like wide fucking open in the corner, and it was just like yeah. you guys can't let him do this. You <laughs> oh, can't let him keep getting away with this. Well, he got like, away with it. Yeah, no, it's you, you can't. I, I I just don't. I, I thought I thought Iowa State did a great job preparing its team, is what I will say this weekend. Uh, I thought TJ Otzelberger and that staff did a fucking incredible job. They loaded up the paint every single time LSU drove. They barely defended the three-point line. Uh, it was really, really sharp scouting. And then against Wisconsin, you would see, especially when Chucky Hepburn went out, they would overload Johnny Davis's side with help defenders basically close all of his space to be able to create open shots. And plus you have Gabe Kalsher, you have the Kuntz oh, guy, you have yeah. Isaiah Brockington, you have uh, Tyrese Hunter's obviously a really good defender as well. Like you just have all these guys that are really plus defenders that can crawl into a guy's space. Um, Gabe Kalsher did a like lion's share of the job. Um, did, did just a phenomenal scout on Wisconsin. I felt in that game and deserve a lot of credit. Uh the other game I want to talk about a little bit more substantially is Tennessee, Michigan, because I thought that was a phenomenal game. Yeah. Uh, and was really interesting from a scouting perspective on a number of fronts. Uh, look, Caleb Houston, I think, did he put up a Snell? Was that a. Was it a Snell? I don't know if that bad it was, was it. It was close, but it wasn't. <laughs> Snell Witch. Um, I'll look for it here. I don't know if it was Snell, but it was close. But it was close. But the guy that was really, really impressive in that game, I thought, was Kennedy Chandler, especially turning the corner. I thought Michigan did a great job late on him. They went some zone looks. They uh, started to kind of differ their ball screen coverages with him. But 
Kennedy was outstanding for the first 30 minutes of that game. And it was the best I thought I'd seen Kennedy Chandler play all year. It was. And, and he, he kind of ended, he started here, he hit this middle and I, I feel like he's done enough to solidify himself as back to being a first round guy, the way that he was able to get in the lane and, and they didn't yeah. have like ways to, to stop me either. And he has these, these weird kind of releases where he doesn't get blocked very often. And you think that he would, and uh, the kid, he, he's won it at, at every level. You hate to see him go out the way that he did. And you saw the emotional embrace with Juwan Howard, who he's known for forever long as he is. There were pieces that played beyond the the narrative. And part of the reason I, I kind of slow to push him up uh, another level to is the size. And he hasn't had quite like the struggles with bigger defenders as I anticipated as the year wore on over time. Yeah. No, he hasn't. He, he, I thought he played great. I thought he was a much better defender at the point of attack uh, than what we've well, seen. Like he's been yeah. really good. And it's, it's the length like, too. Like he's fast and yeah. has the length despite being small. So he gets in those passing lanes. You, you want to cheat like a little bit less, but he has really good instincts to be like one pass away from the ball and like jump that lane. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a snell for Caleb Houston. It was. Yeah, a steal, three rebounds. Snellish. Yeah. That, was, that was a good scout. Two turnovers too. Yeah, you know, that, that does count. He had one, or no? He had. Uh, he, he took four shots. No, you know what? We're we're pod guys here. That would be a trillion. That wouldn't be a snell. We're not doing that. We're doing trillion for our. Boys we are guys. a trillion podcast. Yeah, we, we are a trillion podcast. Uh, we are definitely a trillion <laughs> podcast. Shout out, uh, good friend of the program, Mark Titus. Yeah. Um, I will say, he should go back to school. Does he though? Like, yes. Let, let's do this exercise real quick. Of I'm just going to rattle off some names. You say we're doing a segment here. Should I stay or should I go? Jeremy Sohan. He should go. Malachi Branham. He should at least test and probably end up going. Bryce McGowan's is gone. He announced that today. Yes. Patrick Baldwin Jr. Test and okay. see see how it goes. I think. Blake Wesley. I think he should go back. I do too. Uh, and then I'm gonna, I, I I'm think gonna... that it and it's more because I think his ceiling, if he goes back, works through the decision making uh, progressions, works through the processing speed of the game, continues to improve his shot. I think his ceiling is going like seven or eight next year. Uh, yeah. I think if he comes out this year, it's probably like twenty five. Um, and like not a guarantee to go 25, I don't think either. No, no. He, I, he, I, he, he could slide. You're, you're hoping for a multiple first round pickish type team or like a guarantee at 32 where you say, we'll, we'll take you and stash you. But it gets spooky around that range. Like you, you never yeah. know. And the, the parts I was worried about Blake Wesley, we saw against, against Rutgers. We saw in the second game where end of the game, he goes left and goes to the rim and, and gets blocked. And college defenders are great. It's different in the NBA. I, I admire that he wanted to have that weight on his shoulders, but he, he didn't quite deliver. The shooting hasn't been as good the last three, four games. Uh, I agree with that one. Kennedy Chandler, you say go back. And the last one I'll, I'll leave you with is... Wait, 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 wait. Go, Kennedy Chandler, go back to school? Did I ever say? Did you say go back or test? I, I would absolutely test it. I think he should probably go I don't know if he should go pro, but like uh, I would venture if he goes pro, he probably goes in the top 35 at the very least. Now I think top probably yeah. goes in the top 30. And one other guard was very high on who 
Played some point guard. Uh, played more point guard due to injury in the tournament here is J.D. Davidson. He should go back. Yeah. I think we're uh, aligned with those ones. No and, and J.D. should go back because, again, I think the upside is relatively high if he does not go back. Right. Um, if he does go back, I don't know. It's, it's a tricky one. Uh, or if he doesn't go back and goes pro, he's one that could – like slide because he is a walking turnover and can't shoot right now. Oh, like I miss all one. the athleticism in the world and like yeah. knows how to pass and make things happen. But the skill level like needs to take a jump. But if it does, his upside is very, very high. So I think I would go back and like take my chances next year, especially playing in that offense where you're probably not going to have Javon Quinterly. I would imagine. Um, I think, think i saw his brother and entered the transfer portal today um which not a good sign if you're keeping javon quinn early um like you're gonna have an open runway to just being the lead guard next year i I would i would go i think i I would go back to alabama if i was him i have one late addition kendall brown from baylor i would go pro but i think i'm higher on kendall than most are I don't were, know. Look, were you, Baylor, were you, were you worried about really the? Job. Were you worried like, about the North hard. Carolina game though? I mean, he was when they went on that run for the Brady Manic flagrant two. He's out. They went on the run and he was on the bench. Like he didn't play. He played once Flo Thamba fouled out and they needed a body. Does that speak to anything that that's their winning time? They're down twenty. They tie it or whatever it is. Jeremy Sohan is all over the place defensively. Unbelievable. He's guarding R.J. Davis and then he's at the top of the press and he's. Banging a low post with Armando Baycott and Kendall Brown, who at one point we thought was a top 10 guy, isn't even in the game for his team. So if he's not playing for Baylor in crunch time at NCAA tournament in the second round, uh, it would be hard for me to say, like, yeah, this is a top 15, top 20 guy. Yeah, no, it's he did not help himself late in the season. Um, and it wasn't just that game, it was late in the season, it was the last 15 games that Baylor played. Um, I don't know. I, I, honestly, if I was him, I would test. I would not just full on go. Uh, I, I trust Baylor's developmental staff a lot. I think they're very good. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what to do if I was him. I, I would test, I think, though, and see where it goes. All right. Everybody's testing. Just take the feedback appropriately and use it as such. Don't don't go crazy. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have any for you. I mean, Trevor Keels, what do you do with him? I go back. I, I also go back. I agree. Um, I debated. Ter- I debated Terquavion Smith. I would test, but go back. Uh, Harrison Ingram. <sighs> tough one. Really, really tough one. He was bad the last month or so of the year. Yeah, he ended on a, a bad note. Test series at. He's a, a guy that I understand why NBA teams would like the way he he passes and, and sees and his processing of the game. But he shot the ball not great the the last stretch there. And he needs that based on the lack of foot speed. He does. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, this is a. It's going to be a weird pre-draft cycle. Like it's hard. Like I'm trying to start the NBA draft guide, and I can't quite wrap my head around what the draft pool is going to look like yet. So, like, what? Where am I wasting my time? Where am I <laughs> yeah. not wasting my time? Do right? you like like do you color code your board? Like I I do. So I have like light blue for for guys that may test and the board just may as well be light blue after about the 10th pick 
No, but I think that's a great idea and I might do it now. <laughs> Good. People helping people. That's it. <laughs> yeah. People helping people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk about looking forward now. Yeah. What matchup in the Sweet 16 are you most excited for? Uh, from from what perspective, I guess. Like Texas Tech I, Duke, I'm intrigued by because I think that'll be a chess match because Texas Tech is so tough and they're a, another team that will punch you in the face. There's some good matchups. Like I really like Gonzaga, Arkansas too. Like that's one that we always say, like, hey, you got Jalen Williams versus Chet, but they, they play fast. They they scout really well. Um yeah. I think, I think that's ones... probably Stanley Amude versus Chet for what it's worth. Because they're gonna have to put Jalen yeah, Williams that's, on that's, that's uh, Timmy and try Timmy. and draw Timmy charges. I, th- this is really corny, but like, there's just a lot of games that I like. Like, I like Arizona versus Houston. Like, that really intrigues me. I like that'd if, be my if, pick. If Jaime Hikes is healthy, I love UCLA, North Carolina. Just from like, here's these old school blue bloods knocking skulls on national TV. Yeah, uh, Houston, Arizona would be my pick because I want to see these Arizona kids against a better version of TCU. Which just punched them in the face yeah. and made them really rounds, fucking right? fight for it. Yeah. Like if they get through that Houston game, I think they're in a really, really good spot. I think they're in a really, really good spot. Um I, I look, here's the thing. Like all of these Thursday matchups, for instance, it's Houston, Arizona, Texas Duke, Michigan, Villanova, Arkansas, Gonzaga. Those are incredible games. Yeah. They're all amazing. They're all going to be so good to watch. Like, could not be more excited for all of them. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's nuts. We talked about Purdue, St. Peter's. Like, can, can the, is the magic yeah. still there? Is the fairy dust still there? Is, is the run still going? Uh, and I don't want to undersell Iowa State, Miami, too. It, it's kind of a, a weird, different type of battle and not like yeah, prospecty, but those teams both, overperforms what i thought and especially houston i i yeah i, I picked uab I'll, I'll raise my hand very wrong there uh to win and to cover so double wrong there i didn't i undersold kelvin sampson and that's that's on me and uh he celebrated he showed the world took a shirt off in the locker room he had a day and uh good for him deserved it earned it well and i think that well a i i had houston in the sweet 16 just only because of kelvin sampson purely yeah. Kelvin Sampson. That's it. Um, I will say he presents a fascinating test case for Tommy Lloyd as a first year coach, because I think Tommy has been great this year. I think he's been outstanding. I think they run great stuff. Like consistently, I think they've been really, really good. They run a very competent scheme that works for their personnel. Kelvin's going to make them work for it. Like he's going to really make them work every single bucket. And how does Tommy adjust to that? How does, uh, you know, Ben Matherin adjust to that? How does Christian Coloco and Jolas Tubelis, who like, by the way, didn't play a whole lot in that game against TCU. How do they adjust to that? That's a fascinating game to me uh, on a number of like chess move levels. And you know what? Like Iowa State, Miami is probably the game I'm least excited for, but that's a really interesting it, 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 contrast of styles. Yeah, it could it could be the best game. Like I I don't from a, a analysis standpoint. Yeah, St. Peter's Purdue doesn't have the same feel as as North Carolina UCLA, but still exciting. Like I'm I'm not not gonna watch it either. Yeah, like I'll definitely watch St. Because like you know what? 
the only way that St. Peter's like gets blo- like the doors blown off of them is if they're just not big enough to deal with Zach Eady and Trevion Williams. But I think we'll know that pretty quickly. Oh, first four minutes. Oh, the tone yeah. will be set. But if they can deal with that, that's a fascinating game because yeah. they have a whole lot of athleticism. Like, I, I don't know how they guard Zach Eady. Like that, that's going to actually just be like, what, what do they try and do? Like they probably use the like, like who, who, what's their starting center's name? He has two first names. Um, let me, let me look this up. Clarence Rupert is his name. <laughs> I was thinking like a repeating name. Like that's not it. Yeah. Like they, they played a lot of Clarence Rupert and the drama guy. Um, the two, they have like two drama. They have both of them. Yeah. Don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you, you probably want to have Indefo coming over from the weak side to like try and contest that way and just like wreak havoc. How they match up with like Trevion Williams and Zach Eady is fascinating to me. If I was Purdue, I might try to play them both in that game. Oh, I and don't just, know. I'd rather just not play either of them and just let let Ivy go and and actually do his thing than to clog it up. Let's unclog it. Let's not throw another big in there. Let's get no bigs. Play five guards. Spread it out. Oh my god, you're a big. You're six foot eight. No, I'm a I'm a I'm a perimeter big. I'm not. I'm a stretch shooter, man. I I couldn't move my feet. I couldn't score in the post and shoot and pass. Put me on the perimeter. If you if you were going into a gym, like if you were to play in a pickup at the Final Four, (laughs) what what are we talking here from three? Are we talking like? Five for eight from three, like lights out. Like, what are we? Oh, these days, no. I mean, the men's league peak, yeah, sure. But now we'll we'll be comfortable if it's like three for eight these days. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be realistic here. Division one athlete, Matt Penny. Yeah, don't don't let them forget it. Somebody from uh, I I did the down to dunk podcast today, and they they had a question in mailbag. They said, "Can Matt play?" three 10 day contracts. So we can, we can like tank more for Oklahoma city. I said, be careful, man. 0.8 points and 0.6 rebounds per game. Might get you, might get you a little bump into playing. Who knows? What would your, what would your knees say to that? Uh, they would say, no, thank you. My bank account would look great. It would be nice for about <laughs> uh, three hours. And then the ice and my back afterwards would, would not be too uh, favorable. Put it that way. Just be done. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't think we have anything else. I, I didn't ask for questions. This no, time. it's great. We, went we for an hour feel and like, a lot. like yeah. I feel like we don't need to dive too deep. I assume there's no chance you watched any movies this weekend, right? Uh, I didn't. I watched Siesta Key is back on MTV. So I watched one just dumb episode to like clear my head. I, I didn't watch any movies. I have about three in the hopper and I laughed because I think you tweeted about it, but Ben Affleck has a new movie on apple plus or, or hulu and it's on like hulu, sna- yeah. there, there's snails involved uh, i actually wanted to see that just based on the preview um and then i, I want to see the we work movie which i think is also on apple plus with jared Leto playing the i believe that's WeWork. right i think it's a tv show isn't it maybe e- even more so but i, I yeah. haven't even clicked over there because we've been first four into the tournament from legit i i think we recorded sunday and then we had like the monday kind of prepped and it's been tournament all the way through since then yeah i have had no time uh i were i worked from 8 a.m to 12 p.m uh oh yeah uh monday through wednesday and then thursday it was you know um 3 a.m to 9 p.m or whatever so 
you know, I, I've watched one movie in this time. It was The Cursed. Laura and I sat down and watched that, that's, it. That's the, here's the clicker. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm up early. I'm sorry I'm watching these games. You you pick it. You drop it. Definitely down. a Laura pick. Like, yeah. no question, a yeah. Laura pick. Um, yeah, it was Boyd Holbrook and Kelly Riley. Uh, it was It was not awesome but we have uh the nick cage playing nick cage movie coming like within the next month <laughs> so uh, every movie he's made the last 10 years aside from like pig oh well no like do you not know about this movie i don't i, I think it missed me so it's called the unbearable weight of massive talent where nicholas cage is literally playing nicholas cage <laughs> i can't I can't. That that's off season. That's once you get through the tournament, I don't have to think anymore. That that's like too that's too much for me, man. I think that it comes out after the tournament. Uh, awesome. Uh, I'll watch it the the Tuesday after the national championship game. And take a guess what its rating is on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So Rotten Tomatoes is a percentage, correct? Yes. So are we doing audience score or top critics? Very important. Top difference. critics. Oh, it's gotta be like twenty six percent. One double zero. We're in triple digits, baby. <laughs> How many people? Sorry, that's like out of like three people. I think it's out of like seventeen. It's not a ton. Wow, um, I'm, I'm actually surprised. But we're ready. We're we're we're, we're locked and loaded. I don't, I, I'm here for a Razzie award-winning movie. I don't know if I'm ready for a Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage being like a Best Picture. I'm not prepared. Did you see Pig last year? Because like no, you said some... that I, I didn't. I, I know that was like kind of his go-to. Yeah, his, he was his actually own, really his own personal reconnaissance was was that. Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna have like a Nick Cage comeback here. The other movie that I'm so fucking excited for, and I hate it. I hate myself for it. Do you know what I'm gonna say? We saw I, trailer after trailer for it during the NCAA tournament. Uh, Corona Light. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. The, the ambulance movie with Jake Gyllenhaal oh, and Yaya. Who is I, I made a joke about this to my friends. Like, hasn't he made this movie? Haven't I seen this one like three times? Just like he's been the operator, right? So here's here's Jake Gyllenhaal's like emergency scene. He's been the operator of that late late movie, like the Danish like Swedish remake, right? He was a nightcrawler where he's chasing the ambulances and beating them to the crime, and now he's in the ambulance. This is like the the trifecta trilogy of Jake Gyllenhaal and nine one one operating. Was he just obsessed? He's like, I got to cover this from every angle. I can't do it. He's just growing. He's growing. Yes, he's 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 getting and I love, promoted. And I, and I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I do. I'm a longtime fan, too. going back to Donnie Darko. But get out of the ambulance, man. Diversify a little I love bit. It. I need I need this Jake Gyllenhaal ambulance movie. Like, there's no way that this isn't like a dumb rewatch. Good. Movie. Oh yeah, it, it's the the Sunday morning, mid afternoon. Do I take a nap or throw this on? Yes, yeah. both. Put on the couch. That's the movie. Don't have to think. Pop in and out of scenes. Yeah. Like at some point this week, because the Oscars are coming up, I have to watch Drive My Car, which is the three hour uh, Japanese movie. Yeah. And that's the last one that's on my list, like period for all of the Oscars. That's great. I've seen everything else. And it's just like, it's three hours. It's like a meditation. I'm literally driving a car for three hours. It's a lot. Man. I'm good. Like I, I would rather watch Ambulance right now. Like I get it, but I'm sure it's a great movie. I'd probably rather watch Ambulance if we're just being real about oh, it. Totally. Like, and you're an art, you're an art house film guy more so than me. But give me the Ambulance. At all the complaining I do, I'll still take the Ambulance. 
still chasing. I, think I agree. Um, but over the next week, I also have to watch uh, as many Nick Cage movies as possible before we got to do, do that. Every the week. unbearable weight of massive talent, because uh, man, what a world! What a okay, Penny, you had so many great points today on the show that. Not only is Pete Gillen now alive, he is thriving. Oh, I love Pete. And we are Pete's the best. Uh, we're ready to go here. Uh, Penny, tell the people they can find you on the internet. Find me on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. And, and here, back here with Sam, the Game Theory Universe, Metaverse, as, as often as I can, but mostly on Twitter. So I have no idea when Matt and I will record next. We have to have a conversation about that offline. Um, because I'm flying to the United States on Tuesday, Monday. On Tuesday? Time. Wow. We are creeping up. That's a fantastic. I know, right? Not this week, next week. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I know yeah. that. But but that um, means that you're you're getting closer. And uh hey man, we might record it like a normal time out of a hotel room. We'll we'll see. We'll we'll see how crazy we can get. How wild, right? Yeah. Um so we have to figure all that out. I'm gonna have a couple of NBA podcasts this week for sure. Um where I literally just ask the person on the podcast to explain the NBA to me right now, mm. because the NCAA tournament has taken up all of my time over the course of the last 10 days. Um, keep it locked here though. We'll have some really, really great content coming up until next time though. We will talk soon. Bye. Bye.